Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning again. Um, we want to continue to lift up uh, the family, the friends, the KK, KKFI uh, station, broadcast station in um, Kansas City, Missouri. Lisa Lopez Galvin was the host of Taste of Dahano, um, and she is the one person who lost her life in the shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs um, parade, um, senseless act. Uh, certainly took the life of a beautiful person and has left her children, her two children, you know, orphaned. Um, want to lift up that community, want to lift up that family, want to lift up that radio station. Obviously, uh, those of us who serve in broadcast media, um, we recognize that our voice, you know, is is only for a breath um, and then it's gone. I mean, radio might be the most like, vaporous uh, medium out there. And so, first of all, I want to say I value the time that you and I spend together. It is precious to me, and I am thankful for it. And um, and if um, today's my last day to speak to you, then I want to make it count. And I want that to be true every time we talk. I don't want this to just be vapor over the airwaves. I want you to hear my heart and know that um, what matters to me most is that you know God. That's what matters to me most, that um, that this isn't just a way that we pass the time or fill the time or fill our minds and the space between us with a lot of noise. I hope you know my heart, that you would know Jesus, that you would come to him as Savior, that you would bow to him as Lord, that you would follow him, that you would be yoked to him, that you would walk with him, that he would inspire and encourage and fill you with love and inspiration and joy. Yes, that you would walk with him all the days of your life um, and all the way home to the Father's house. That's my heart. That's my heart. And so um, as you and I have the privilege of time spent together here over the airwaves this morning, um, there is one whose voice is not going to be heard over the airwaves again. And, um, and so I am mindful. Uh, I am mindful of that. Um, I, uh, I read, I guess it was probably last week. might have been earlier this week. You know, time runs together for me a little bit. Um, that uh, Bob Edwards, who, whose name you might know and certainly whose voice you would know, he built um, National Public Radio's or NPR's Morning Edition. And, um, and he died. Um, earlier in February, a few days ago. And I read about that and I read about his life and I read about the way that not, not only his voice and the power of it, but the, but the way, the cadence, the pacing, um, the way he told stories, 
the way um, he drew people out to tell their story and how much we all learned from that, not only as broadcasters, but um, as as people who would listen over the radio. Um, and so I want to say to you today that, um, again, I value the time that we have together and I recognize that it is fleeting. You know, I mean, I hope, I hope we... <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kind of selfish. I hope we have years together doing this. But I also recognize that every moment is a fleeting moment, and I want to use it well, and I want to honor God, and I want to edify you. Um, I want you to be encouraged in your walk of faith. The text line is always open. Um, I encourage you to to ask questions there, to share what's on your heart, um, to share your prayer requests. And and I and my colleagues, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ at Faith Radio, we will we will pray for you. When we have ideas that we think would be helpful, we'll share them with you. Um, so thank you for the privilege of this conversation, uh, and thank you this morning for just you know letting me get that get that off my chest. Um, I do this out of a genuine love of God and a love for you to know the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord that you would be equipped for the good work that he has set before you to do. Um, And that is walking your faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. Um, So people would see you and hear you and experience you and be like, wow, that person is different. What's different about them? And that the thing that would be different about you would be love and it would be undeniable and it would just ooze out of your pores into the lives of people who are afraid and questioning and feeling quite loveless. I was going to lead off um, in this time with a conversation um, about an article that I read in the New York Times. And it is about Ava and Michael. And Ava uh, and Michael... um, were married a number of years ago. Um, when they got married, they used a tablecloth from Ava's grandmother. Um, they used it as the hoopah, as a ritual canopy uh, that is a tradition for Jews when they get married. Um, but Michael's family uh, are Coptic Christians from Egypt. And so for their part of the wedding, um, Michael's dad anointed the couple with um, oil that had been consecrated for that purpose. And they have braided, this article says, they have braided their cultural traditions um, together. Um, And then October the 7th happened. And suddenly, um, Ava's Jewish history was not just ancient history. It wasn't just something that her grandmother had an affection for or was meaningful to her. Suddenly, Ava's Jewishness came to the fore. Um, And Michael, for his part, being from Egypt um, and, and, and the Coptic community in Egypt um, had not only a concern for, but also a concern about the Palestinians in Gaza. And so here's a quote. We needed to really hear each other and share our perspectives and make sure that we were creating an environment that didn't lead to conflict between the two of us, that conflict elsewhere might become conflict in our own home, that conflict among others might become conflict between us. So there are um, lots of folks uh, considering how they feel about Israel, how they feel about their Jewish heritage or their Jewish identity. Um, and I was reading yesterday that a survey of Jews in America 
since October the 7th reveals um, not just that they have heard and experienced very real anti-Semitism, which we have talked about frequently, but that they have changed their personal behavior. They have changed their personal behavior because of um, the the hate expressed by uh, by other people in America. America. Other people in America hating people because they're Jewish. Um, so this was going to be a conversation about interfaith marriage. It was going to be a conversation about um, what are you yoked to other than Christ? Who are you yoked to? It was going to be a conversation about what the Bible says about um, intermarriage, particularly for the Jews. It was going to be a conversation about what the New Testament says about being unequally yoked, particularly to non-believers. And then I was going to talk about what it means to be yoked to Christ. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What does it mean to be yoked to Christ as our rabbi, as our teacher? How are you spiritually and intellectually, relationally, financially, politically yoked to Christ? Or are you, in all honesty, genuinely yoked to someone or something else? To be yoked to a rabbi means learning his character and his ways, the beat of his heart, the pace of his steps, coming alongside him in his work, feeling what he feels, breathing like he breathes, like bringing our breath and our heart and our steps and our mind and our thoughts and our sweat, the tilling, the sowing, the weeding, the cultivating in line with his, to learn and to grow and to become like Jesus in every way. Yoked to Christ or unequally yoked in some way to something other than Christ. That was going to be the thought for this morning. But then I had the thought about why I get up and do what I do every day with you. Pastor Bob Pazienza is going to join us next. He is the, he's a pastor. He is also um, engaged in ongoing conversations about faith and culture. We're going to talk about immigration. We're going to talk about how we hold justice and mercy together when we talk about what is happening, not only at the U.S. southern border, but across the United States as um, people from other other countries and, um, and other nations um, have come here. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Robert Pacienza is the senior pastor of the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's also the uh, president and CEO of Coral Ridge Ministries and the founder of the Institute for Faith and Culture. I really super duper just want to quiz him on his doctoral dissertation, which was entitled, This is My Father's World, A Vision for Equipping Culture, Shaping Christians. But we're going to be more specific than that today, and we're going to talk about immigration. Rob, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So on an utterly personal note, I'm standing in uh, Case Thorpe's office broadcasting uh, this morning, and when I told him you were coming on, he said, oh, Rob's in my phone, and um, apparently your name is an awful lot like the name of somebody else who's, who would, among his responsibilities, um, be, uh, be the person who could change the temperature of the sanctuary where Case might yes, be I preaching on occasion. And, uh, and so sometimes you get a text when you're preaching at your church from a pastor um, across the state who says, dude, could you turn down the air? Yes, it, yes, it's, it's quite <laughs> hilarious at this point. <laughs> and you're like, I don't have that power, and I'm busy doing something else. Exactly. So um, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself um, to get the conversation going this morning. We'd like to get to know you. 
Um, what's on your heart? Who rules your heart and mind? Like what's going on in Rob Pacienza? Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I'm the senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and this is a place that is near and dear to my heart because this is where I got saved as a teenager uh, under our founding pastor, Dr. D. James Kennedy. And he was uh, my spiritual father. He became my mentor. But really, he gave me a vision 25 years ago of what it meant to uh, really speak uh, about the truth of uh, the Bible and the Word of God to all of life. Uh, that we shouldn't have private faith, we shouldn't have a faith that is private, but we should have a faith that is public, and that really shaped uh, my le- the rest of my life. That that has shaped my vision for ministry, and really shaped my calling to the next generation. When I see the numbers of youth that are raised in the church that are leaving the faith by their freshman year of college, uh, that breaks my heart. But it also really and helps inform uh, the, my calling and the vision for my ministry that I believe God has uh, placed on my heart and soul uh, in the 21st century. And so that has led me to uh, found the Institute for Faith and Culture, pursue a doctorate, and thinking through how does the church equip uh, the congregation uh, and lay people in the 21st century to engage culture faithfully. Um, and that that's really what is uh, moving me, motivating me, and uh, gets me up out of the bed at, every morning. Uh, I believe that this is the, uh, an incredible time to be a Christian, unlike what you hear from a lot of other people, that this is the worst time to be a Christian. I think it's an incredible time, because uh, before there's ever been a great revival or reformation throughout Church history, it's always been in the darkest moments, always been in the darkest hours, uh, when it seemed like it was impossible for the Church to advance. And uh, I, I believe uh, we have an incredible opportunity, uh, and I think we owe it to the next generation, uh, to equip them properly to engage culture and uh, to be a witness in the midst of darkness. So let's talk about um, government, why uh, why God instituted government, what government is for, because I think that that is going to get us into a conversation about justice, and then we can bring that um, into discourse with how we as Christians might feel in relationship to mercy. And then you and I will bring all of that to bear on uh, conversations regarding immigration. But like, what what is government and what is it for? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the go-to passage for any Christian should be uh, Romans 13, amongst others. And Paul is writing to uh, Jewish Christians living in Rome, uh, the at the time known as the political and cultural center of the world. And he's reminding them uh, in the midst of a Roman pagan empire who ultimately has authorized government, who has established government, uh, who is ultimately sovereign over all earthly powers, and it's God himself. And in Romans 13, it says that God has established government. It says that God has established government specifically for two purposes, um, which is interesting. You look at the role of government today, and it seems like it serves a lot more purposes than two. Uh, But it says primarily two purposes, and it is to promote the common good and restrain evil. Um, It also says, Paul, uh, writing to the church in Rome, that uh, government is ultimately in the hands of a sovereign God. Uh, Paul calls them ministers. So whether government officials realize it or not, they are serving at the pleasure and the will of Almighty God to restrain evil and to promote the common good. And as I always remind our congregation, the reason we need more Christians in politics and more Christians in government is what happens when we have government officials that call good evil and evil good? How, how exactly do you promote good and restrain evil uh, when you have a reversal of 
virtues and ethics as they're defined in the Word of God. But that that is the purpose of government as established by God. So that is really helpful. Um, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Rob Pacienza. He is the pastor of the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, and my attention was drawn to an article that he wrote about justice and mercy walking together in relationship to immigration. So when you think about government, when you think about the purpose of government, when you think about the heart of mercy and compassion you have as a Christian, how do those walk together um, as we approach the conversations of this day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. The 23rd Psalm ends with, uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What about justice and mercy? Can justice and mercy walk hand in hand in this world? That is the subject of our conversation with, uh, with Pastor Rob Pacienza. The article is Justice and Mercy Can Walk Together, Why Texas is Right to Secure Its Borders. Um, Rob, let's talk about immigration and let's talk about how justice and mercy can walk together. So, um, Maybe you lead off. Where where do you think, for most people, this conversation begins? A conversation about justice or a conversation about mercy? I think I think unfortunately uh, we've created a false dichotomy in our country, and I think it's even crept into the church. It's either you have to be just or merciful. And that is a false dichotomy because we know that God is the author of both, and then we know that in the scriptures that justice and mercy walk hand in hand. Actually, the word for justice in the Bible is synonymous with righteousness, the righteousness of God, which expresses itself in both uh, means of justice and means of mercy. But to say that uh, justice and mercy are on opposite ends of the spectrum uh, or impossible to walk together or to live in harmony with each other is really to deny the existence of God and God's people. And so that's why you look at the issue of immigration and you have people saying, we've got to be just and solely just, and you have people on the other side we have to be just merciful and solely merciful, and I, there has to be a way. There is a way in which we can approach uh, this situation of immigration, and in particularly the issue at the southern border, and uh, administer both justice and mercy. And what I mean by that is we have to be just. As I said earlier in the previous segment, Romans 13 says we, the government owes it to the people that have put them in power and positions of authority to protect them, to protect their borders and protect their homes and protect their neighbors. What does it mean to love your neighbor well? Part of loving your neighbor well is ensuring that uh, justice reigns in your society and in your neighborhood, and, and you're, you're, you're serving the common good and restraining evil. Um, I, but I also think we can be merciful to those um, 
women and children that are being trafficked across the southern border. That's really the role of the church. That's really the role of the nonprofit, and that's what's happening here. And this is what's confusing for people. The, the government currently is trying to play the role of the church, and the church is sitting back, and they're kind of abdicating their, you know, their, their role and their responsibility in the matter. And I think if the government actually steps in and administers justice as they're called to, restraining evil and protecting the southern border, and the church and nonprofits step in and find ways to serve the orphan and the widow and those that are, that are innocent in all of this uh, you know, nonsense at the southern border, uh, this is really how you can see justice and mercy working together. But instead, the government is trying to act like the church and just let anybody in, right? We should love the foreigner and love the stranger, which we should. But the primary responsibility of the government is not to do the role of the church. Their role is to use the power of the sword, as it says in Romans 13, and they're failing to do so right now, and it's creating chaos. But uh, justice and mercy have to work together, and they can work together. The problem is we have a reversal of roles and reversal of God's design in our country right now when it comes to the role of the church and the government. So let's talk about um, the word church, and when you use that term, um, because everybody everybody hears that differently. Um, are we talking about you know, the church universal and therefore global, um, are we talking about the specific way we experience um, church at the local level? Are we talking about every member of the body of Christ doing everything they can with all that God has given? Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think when we, I think when we say the church, sometimes it just feels like it lets me as an individual totally off the hook. And I don't think that's what you're trying to do. No, I, I think this is everyone that belongs to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think anybody that calls themselves a Christian is a part of this incredible movement that was launched 2,000 years ago called the Church. Uh, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, I'm not, I, he was not talking necessarily about just a, a building that is occupied on Sunday mornings for one hour to worship. That is certainly a manifestation of the church. That's an expression of the church, but it's much broader than that. Um, one, one of my uh, heroes and uh, theologians uh, from the 19th century, Abraham Kuyper, used the distinction, the church as an, as an organism and the church as an institution. Um, so we're, we're talking about the church as an organism, this living, breathing body of belief, global body of believers uh, that have been called outside the four walls of a church building to administer justice and mercy and to be salt and light. That, that is what Jesus was talking about. When he was saying you need to be a city on a hill, he was talking about this global gathering of believers all across the world from every tongue, tribe, and nation that are living out their faith, not just on Sunday morning in corporate worship, but living out their faith throughout the rest of the week, whether it's in politics, in their neighborhood, in their work, uh, wherever they might be led and called, they're living out their faith as an extension of the kingdom of God. So I think, um, first of all, that is really helpful, and um, I hope that that is a—like, uh, that's the conversation that maybe we could keep returning to, because yes, um, that is where, for me, as an American evangelical Christian— um, there was for a portion of my life this like narrow, very narrow, very individualized understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Um, God has since blown that up, 
I mean, and I'm very grateful for for having this now expansive understanding of what it means to be a member of a global body of Christ that is a living and breathing organism um, and that has nothing to do with national borders or boundaries and everything to do with a big K kingdom, um, even though I do live as a citizen of a discrete nation state. And then I have to figure out how in my heart and mind to... um, to hold those realities in, in an ongoing tension. Um, I feel like that is, um, it's the heartbeat of the way you are seeking to sort of till the, the soil of the conversation. Um, am I, am I reading that right? Absolutely. We need to take our cues from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was always trying to change the conversation, right? He was talking to, uh, whether he was talking to uh, Pharisees or, uh, you know, the, the religious establishment, or he was talking to the tax collectors, you know, he was saying, you know, Pharisees, you've got it wrong, and the tax collectors, you've got it wrong. And he was always trying to elevate the conversation and say, no, it's about the kingdom of God. Uh, it's not a matter of right and left. It's a matter of right and wrong. And mm-hmm. when we start reframing the conversation for the Church of Jesus Christ and think biblically about all of life, um, we need a cultural engagement. And that's really what drives me at the church, really drives me at the Institute for Faith and Culture and everything else that I commit my life to. I'm always trying to change the conversation. We need a cultural engagement that is not informed by political ideology or the mainstream media. We need a cultural engagement that is informed by the Word of God uh, and a kingdom ethic and a kingdom approach to all of life. Because if Jesus is Lord, uh, then he has to be Lord of all. He has to be Lord of every square inch of my life. So I'm always trying to disciple, preach in such a way, shape people's minds and hearts to think uh, about all of life through the lens of the kingdom of God. And that's really what, uh, what has always been so beautiful and so profound about the work of the church throughout the last 2,000 years. And I think the reason we've lost our saltiness and we've lost our light is uh, because we're thinking about cultural engagement in all of the wrong ways. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can reframe the conversation because, as I said at the very beginning, uh, we owe it to the generations that come after us to really get this right in, in a culture that is chaotic, in a culture that's confused. I think the world's looking for better answers than what they're getting on uh, their local news channel or uh, national media. I think they're looking to the church for a different approach to the chaos in our world right now. Our uh, our mutual friend Bruce Ashford told me to like you, uh, and he was right. So, um, Rob Pacienza, I hope this is the first of many conversations that um, that you'll have with us. Uh, we are definitely singing off the same page, and so thank you so much for the time you've shared with us today and for helping us to change the conversation. Absolutely, honored to be on this morning. Yeah, what a joy. I'm happy to send you the direct links for Rob. He's pretty easy to find, though, at everything Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church or Coral Ridge Ministries. But again, you know how to um, how to get with me. Just text me 877-933-2484. I'll send you Rob's direct links and a link to the article um, that got me thinking uh, with him today. Um, all right. Our, our brother in Christ and friend and fellow broadcaster, Bra- uh, Brant Hansen, has another book. Life is hard. God is good. Let's dance. Um, here's my conversation uh, starter for us today. What is joy? Where are you experiencing joy? Where are you feeling joy less? Where would you like more joy? 
joy, joy, joy uh, down in your heart, down in your heart to stay or being joyfully expressed out in the world that God so loves. Yes, in the midst of life that is hard. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Brad Hansen probably needs very, very little introduction. Um, if you want to check out everything he's doing and all things Brant Hansen, pretty simple to find him, BrantHansen.com. Um, Brant, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me back. I'm honored. Big time Christian author, big time Christian uh, broadcaster, big time. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, huge. Right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really amazing. <laughs> No, um, we uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Um, and this um, this book is provocative. Life is hard. God is good. Let's dance. Living at peace in a world gone mad. And if you're listening right now and you're like, I already know I want a copy of that. Here's the way we're giving them away. We are giving away 75 birthday boxes to celebrate Faith Radio's 75th birthday. And in every one of those birthday boxes is a Brant Hansen, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance book. So you go to MyFaithRadio.com um, and you uh, and you register. So there you go. It's it's a part of the giant birthday box giveaway this month, which that is really, really fun. So Brant, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is really about one, one idea, um, joy, and having a deep sense of joy, an abiding sense of joy, like doing what Jesus says in terms of being of good cheer, even though we live in a world of tribulation. So um, so let, let's just talk about that. Like, what what does that look like? What does it look like to be of good cheer in a in a world where we we do have tribulation? Yeah. So uh, it's it's about this idea of joy, not being like happy slappy. Like, hey, no matter what happens, I feel great. If that's not it, it's it's. A, I love Dallas Willard's formulation of it. He said it's a deep sense of well being, regardless of circumstances. Like, no matter what you still have this sense of well-being because of your trust in God. You trust his character. You trust how he's going to make all this make sense in the end, how he's going to set things right. Like this is supposed to be available to us. It's just funny though, because when I talk about this on the air or whatever, I'll I'll mention how Jesus says we don't need to be anxious. Don't worry. Be like the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. And people are like, yeah, that's a pretty thought. But realistically, I mean, we need to be worried about like, no, no, no. Jesus is realistic. We are safe with him. No, like worst case scenarios, we're safe with him. This is this is something we can draw on and not be driven crazy by the news of the day. Because there's always going to be something. There's always going to be tumult and chaos. But we're supposed to be people who aren't anxious. Like this is this is doable. We can become that sort of person. So that's what I'm trying to get at in the book. Uh, I try to make it funny and stuff, but that's in the eye of the beholder. But like um that this is actually a way that we can live for real. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Um, humor is, uh, is a powerful tool. It can be, it can be misused. You don't misuse it. I think you use it very adeptly. I think you use it very carefully. Um, but there are, there are times and maybe temptations to um, sort of bring the laugh it off um, into a moment where, stillness and silence is, you know, maybe the better, maybe the better way to go. Um, I appreciate that you are, you are inviting us into what 
you know, what I think is your sort of expression of the faith, faith anyway, which is sort of oddness, um, which I hope you take as a compliment. Um, I'm thinking here about the gentle art of freaking people out. I'm thinking about even the way you frame what you're doing now as the odd cast instead of a podcast. Like, talk with us a little bit about the willingness to maybe think less of ourselves um, as we just let God operate out of who we are and animate um, animate the world. Yeah, so when Jesus t- teaches us how to pray, he says this thing, of, as we know, about like, give us our daily bread. And somebody pointed out to me that that means you just ask God for your resources that you need for today. So I've been doing that. And instead of thinking about what are my big plans for the future? What's my big vision for, you know, what I'm going to do? And I just, I ask God, please give me what I need for today. And I'm an introvert. I'm on the spectrum. I've, I've written about that quite a bit, but like being in, in that space where it's just today, puts you in a really childlike place, but it's much more peaceful. It's much more simple. And then you ask God to make a way for you. He can, he's in the future already. He's there. Like, please make a way. That's, that's been my thing, but it allows you, instead of being weighted down by the worries of next week or what could happen, what might happen, what that person could do, staying like just today. And since I'm an introvert, I ask God, please give me social energy. Like the words that, I'll need <laughs> like, please let me be a blessing to people who come across my path today. So I, I do think that there that's, I, I think that there's real wisdom in that. I've, I've found that to be true in my own life. And I think that that prayer is so brilliant. Obviously Jesus is brilliant. Everything he's giving us to do is for our own good, but it, it helps us have a more simple childlike faith. And I think that bears a lot of fruit. I hope that makes sense. No, it does make sense. I think that, um, first of all, thank you for your transparency. Um, I think the it, it's probably going to surprise a lot of people who are listening right now that um, you describe yourself as an introvert. You know yourself to be an introvert. Same is true of me. We have mm-hmm. um, what what are two people seemingly, seemingly very extroverted jobs. But in reality, yeah. we do our jobs in in relative privacy, like, right. There's a, um, every one of these conversations is one-on-one. It's not with a giant crowd of people. It's with a person. Right. Right. That is exactly right. And for me, I'm really bad at reading body language. So it's not (laughs) ironic that my job is on the radio. Like I don't have to read anybody's body language. I like, or writing, but the thing is, there's a proverb, and I can't, I mean, I'm not going to nail it here, but it says something like, where words are many, foolishness is not far behind, something like that. And so I ask God for mercy, because I do have to talk a lot, and, and you have to talk a lot for your job. And I want it to be consonant with the kingdom. I want my words to actually build people up, and I don't want to say stupid stuff. So th- there is a burden that comes with having to talk. I don't want to be foolish. I want to I bring wisdom into people's lives. I want to be a blessing. So literally, I'm asking God every day, I don't have the words for today. You're going to have to help me. But please let me have things that people need to hear, these precious people that are listening. Let it be something that adds value to their lives, which is literally what blessing means. That's that's what I'm trying to do. We're talking with Brant Hansen, among other things, author of Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. Um, one of the things you have become very adept at is telling us um, stories, t- 
telling us stories of people you know in places you've been and work that God has included you in with Cure. Can you um can you remind us? We talked with it. We talked a little bit about it the last time you were here, but you know we've all slept since then. So, um, oh, what absolutely. is Cure? And um and maybe tell us um you know a, a recent story of um of a child or a place um or a, a servant. Sure. Uh, people need to know about this. Even if you don't want to give to cure, you need to know because it's so encouraging as a believer to see people doing Jesus stuff. It's so This is the most Jesus-shaped mission I've ever seen in my life. So there are millions of kids who have correctable disabilities that don't get corrected because they don't live in the U.S. or Canada. Like They don't, they don't have access to this medical care, these surgeries. So cure is a network of full-on surgical hospitals for children that correct those disabilities. It's, it's kids that might be 15 years old. They've never been able to run before. Now they can. Couldn't walk. Now she can. Or a baby that's going to die from hydrocephalus if it's not true, but now gets to live. Like, it's all done in the name of Jesus, too. Just in the last year, Carmen, I just saw this stat. 18,000 surgeries cured did. Imagine that. They had 100,000 outpatient visits, all done in the name of Jesus. They share the gospel with everybody. We had 41 thousand people in the last year decide to follow Jesus at these hospitals. Wow. Wow. Imagine that. So it's proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing, which is exactly what Jesus said. You know, the kingdom is breaking through and he was showing it like you'll do greater things than, than what I've been doing. Even if you follow, if you believe in me, like, so this is the best expression of Christianity I've ever seen. And I need to see it too, because I've been through a lot of stuff growing up, a lot of trauma, a lot of religious hypocrisy, like in the extreme. So for me to be able to see that has been a blessing. So I get to visit these hospitals. The one I just visited recently and I wrote about was the, the one in Zambia. And I got to play with this little girl named Elizabeth. She's five years old and her legs were turned inward because she had neglected clubfoot. So she can barely walk. And then I happened to, when I a few days later, I went into the operating room. And guess who was lying there sleeping, getting ready for her surgery? And I talked to the surgeon. I said, so what happens to Elizabeth if she doesn't get this surgery? And he said, she would be everyone's victim the rest of her life. But that ends now. And they pray over her. I got to pray over her in the OR. Sometimes there's worship music in the operating room. I'm like, this is the best, this is the best worship service I've ever seen. But people don't see this on the news. So we can make a cartoon out of Christians or a cartoon out of Jesus. People have these ideas. But I'm like, let me show you what the people of Jesus are still doing. You're just not hearing about it. So I'm kind of like Forrest Gump. I've been, I kind of tripped into this, but I get to visit all these hospitals and see, see the kingdom of God in such beautiful ways. I have to tell those stories because it's like, I desperately want people to see how beautiful the kingdom is that we've forgotten. Like the healing, the letting moms know that they're not cursed. They didn't do anything wrong. Cause they're, they're normally blamed. If a child has any kind of disability, they're blamed. Like you, you are immoral. That's what, that's why this child has, we're able to say, nope, it's not true. God draws close to the brokenhearted mom. Your child is beautiful. You didn't do anything wrong. He's been storing your tears in a bottle. He loves you. And then we heal their kids. I mean, it's about as good as it gets. So if you go to cure.org, you can see it. You can get involved if you want, but at least look at it and, and thank God that he's still healing. Because he's doing that. So good. We're talking with Brant Hansen, 
Um, and if you're listening right now and you, you've been disillusioned, you've been discouraged, you've walked away from the church at least and maybe the faith, um, maybe you're wondering um, how, how you can reconnect with somebody who has, quote, deconstructed their faith or somebody who's been discouraged by church hypocrisy or is like literally running away from sort of the industrial evangelical enterprise, like they just like see church celebrities and they're like anything in some direction other than that. Yeah, well, Brant Hansen um, is not naive of any of that, uh, and yet he's not running away from it. Um, and so he's leading us very, very faithfully into a different kind of conversation. Um, and it is a conversation about having joy, living with real joy, substantive joy, life-changing joy, world-impacting joy in the midst of a time of great tribulation. So more with Brant Hansen on his book, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance, up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. How are you feeling this morning? I mean, honestly, like, how are you feeling this morning? Are you feeling joyful? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling um, fearful? Are you feeling joyful? What does it look like to respond to Jesus who says to us in John 16, 33, yeah, there's going to be trouble. You're going to face a world of trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We're talking with Brant Hansen. His, uh, his new book is Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. Um, Brant, life is, uh, life is hard. Nobody's going to argue with that. God is good. Some people might argue with that, but we could argue them, you know, we could argue them to the truth that God is good. Let's dance? Like, what? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, um, we're headed for a big party. I hope everybody knows that. Like, if, you've, if you're somebody who trusts God, his kingdom is a big wedding feast. If you know anything about traditional cultures, you know that that is a big party. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I wanted to capture the fact that, like, joy is knowing how things are going to wind up like it's 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 a peace that's based on knowing that god is good 
ultimately that allows you, even if you're grieving, you still have this sense of well-being. You can still have that. And it's based on knowing that, like actually trusting the character of God. I don't have every answer to every question, but I've learned enough to know that I can trust his character. And then he's going to set things right. So I tell people, it's like, it's like watching a game after you know how it ended, like your favorite team comes back and wins. If you watch it in real time, the first time you might be upset at the refs, you're upset at the coach, you're upset at the play calling or whatever. But if you rewatch it and you know your team comes back and wins at the very end, like you're not you're not agitated at the refs, you're not agitated at the coaches, like because you know how it ends. Like there's there's a real strength that comes from that, and Jesus Himself is telling us we don't need to be worried. He knows the end, and He's telling us this is God in the flesh saying, essentially, I don't know if He's winking and nodding, but it's like, hey, I know how this ends. You don't need to be worried. I've got you. When he took his disciples out on the lake, that was his idea. And then it kicked up this big storm. He's asleep. They failed the test. They all freaked out. And he's like, don't you understand yet? Even if the ship goes down, you're safe with me. We're actually safe with him. We don't, we don't believe it or internalize it because we're not paying attention to the right things most of the time. A lot of times we're paying attention to stuff that's only going to cause anxiety. And then we're like mystified. Why am I anxious? There's Well... What have I been paying attention to? Our attention is everything. It determines who we're becoming. What I'm paying attention to today determines who I'm going to be tomorrow. There's no way around that. So there's several things in the book that I, that I outline, like practical steps that we can take that are biblical about how to actually deal with anxiety. So I, it's this is a doable thing. It's not unrealistic. Uh, if you want to... Um... Get a copy of Brant's new book. Obviously, you can easily do that. Uh, check out BrantHanson.com. Links to his oddcast. <clears throat> so it's a version of a podcast. It's a version of a podcast. Um, also, you can connect there with Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. We are also giving away 75 copies, which seems like a crazy number. But we're doing it to celebrate our 75th birthday here at Faith Radio. And so you can register for that at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, Brant, we, um, we are about out of time. Could I, could I pray for you before you part company? Yeah, please. Father, we, um, we come before you with the very joy of the Lord. And we ask that the joy of the Lord would be Brant's strength today, that the joy of the Lord would, um, continue to flow into and through him in the conversations that you know he's going to have today. Um, we thank you for the way you are so present in his life. Um, we thank you for guarding his heart and mind. We thank you in advance for answering his prayer that you would give him the words. And thank you for the word of grace he has spoken in and among us today. Um, thank you, Father, for this brother. Bless him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely, Brant. Have a have a blessed day, um, and uh, thank you so much for sharing this part of it with us. Sure thing. <laughs> so, um, how are you managing out there uh, in the world that is full of trouble and tribulation? Are you of good cheer? Again, John sixteen, verse thirty three. Jesus says, "In the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. There's going to be problems." <laughs> But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So how are you going to let Jesus 
be the overcomer today. Yes, he has overcome uh, the penalty of of sin uh, and death. He's he's overcome like sin. But how are you going to let him overcome you? And how are you going to allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength today? Because there's going to be trouble. I mean, I don't know what else today is going to hold, but I I know it's it's going to have some trouble, and. We're going to operate in the midst of people who are troubled over many things and troubled in many ways, people who are troubled in mind and people who are troubled in spirit and people who are just troublemakers. So how are you and I going to be people who sow peace and demonstrate love and speak truth and do good and love sacrificially and live joyfully in the midst of the world? Well, we're going to do it because we are going to be overcome. So let yourself be overcome by Jesus. Let him overcome your fears. Let him overcome um, your limitations. Let him overcome the things that you think hold you back. Let Jesus overcome the world today by overcoming you. Let Jesus um, overcome everything that you think is holding you back from the the good and gracious life that he promises to give. Jesus is uh, making good on his promise. So let us find ourselves in him today. Life is hard, but God is good. So let's dance. And that's coming from a person who just frankly, like doesn't like to dance. So there you go. Um, What a joy to be with you today. I'm going to be praying for you. You be praying for me. Take a deep breath. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.